This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. So often, again, churches aren't looking first and foremost at their own identity of who they are and bringing greater reform there before they go on and start addressing some of these other issues. Hello, welcome to Theology on the Go. I am joined, as always, with my friend and co-host, James Dalzell. James, you doing well today? I am, thanks. Good. We have the privilege of being joined today by Barry York, who is the president of Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary. He also taught pastoral theology there, was dean of the faculty, and prior to that was a church planter for over two decades so we're glad to have him, and he, we could talk to him on any number of topics, but I think this one is particularly uh, relevant. Uh, he's just written a book called Hitting the Marks, and the subtitle of it is Restoring the Essential Identity of the Church. And so we're here to talk with him about the church and what are the marks of the church. And so, Barry York, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me on. I'm a big fan of Theology on the Go. Listen to it weekly. Thank you very much. Uh, that's great to hear. And you have a podcast as well, which we're happy to plug. So do you want to take a minute to plug yours as well? Yeah, we have a podcast called 3GT or Three Guys Theologizing. And uh, <laughs> kind of the byline is it's just conversations about the Christian life uh, from a professor, a pastor, and a parishioner. So I have fun with uh, Kyle Borg and Scott Hunt talking about uh, issues on a weekly basis. Three guys theologizing. Well, that's kind of what we're doing today, and we're yes. we're talking about the church. One of the questions, in fact, I think the question that we get asked most frequently uh, at the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals goes something like this: "I'm new to an area, and what should I look for in a good local church?" And and in some senses, that's a lot of what this book is about. So, what are the the marks of a true church, and what should people be looking for in a church? Well, the marks that have been traditionally uh, highlighted by the reformers in the Protestant Reformation, they were looking at what the Catholic Church was saying was a true church, and they were basing their definition on the attributes out of the Nicene Creed of oneness, holiness, Catholicity, and apostolicity, but they were tracing all those back to the Pope. And so the visibility of the church depended upon the Pope. And the reformers said, well, those qualities contained in the creed are true about the church, but they don't really define what is a true church. And as they studied the scriptures, they came up with, I would say two primary ones, but a third one that just flows or follows right out of that. Uh, they highlighted the centrality of the preaching, the true preaching of God's word, uh, as well as the visible signs that uh, Christ has given us to mark the church, which are baptism, which marks our entrance into the kingdom of God. And then the Lord's Supper, where we remember uh, the gospel and what Christ has done for us. And a necessary consequence of those two marks is if you're going to preach the word and allow people to come into the church and come to the Lord's table, then you have to have some manner of uh, ordering that and calling people to faithfulness to that. And so discipline really emerged as a, as a third mark of the church. And as people are looking for churches, and this is a big question, part of the reason I wrote the book is being a church planter. Um, I did a lot of door-to-door -door work, and as we began, we had lots and lots of visitors doing discipleship. Uh, over and over again, I found people really confused about what a church is. 
Uh, people were meeting in little home groups and calling themselves a church. A lot of people said that the Salvation Army, uh, interestingly enough, was their church in the town where I was. And so it led me to really uh, think through that issue. I remember one year in particular, it hit me hard because I had four, and I won't call out the denomination, but I had four uh, families from Napark churches move into our community and they came and visited. We had them in our home. They attended for a, a significant amount of time, but all of them eventually left. And the reasons they left was because we didn't have a youth group. And one family left because we just weren't in a building. Uh, we were renting a facility at that time. And I just began to see that people were taking what I would call peripheral matters. Some of them are important peripheral matters but still they were making them central to what they should be looking for in the church. And so I began to really think and reflect upon that and wondered how I could help my congregation in understanding uh, the marks of the church. I, I knew about them from theology books and confessions, but I didn't really see them anywhere written in a popular way. And so it just led me to the further study of this and the writing of the book. So if someone is then looking for a church, and you've highlighted uh, word, sacrament, and discipline, mm-hmm. how, how in a kind of a concrete way would they go about discovering whether this church they've been visiting or looking into is in fact faithful in regard to those things? In other words, uh, most churches will, some the, the word of God has some place in everyone's church service, but what... What is it that makes it, uh, I think you said central, how do we recognize whether the word is central uh, Mm -hmm. in a church, for instance? Well, that's a good question, James, and it's a big question, but you you want to look at the ministry of the word of God very carefully. That's really where our starting place should be. And I think there's several uh, items you should be looking for. Uh, First, you should look and see if it's Christ-centered preaching, which is a big emphasis, uh, I know, in the Alliance and other places in the church today that uh, we need to make sure that the minister is uh, taking all the scriptures and wherever they might be, uh, helping us to see uh, Jesus uh, in and through those scriptures. So that's key. I think it's key that as you look at a church's ministry, that they really value both both testaments, both the Old and New Testament of God's Word, and you see a, a real effort on part of the ministry there to impart that into the lives of God's people. I think another thing that and I point this out in the book is that we really need to be looking, especially in our day and age, at the character of the minister. You not only look at the content of the message, but you got to look at the character of the messenger because when Paul gives a description of the type of men that we should be looking for to be pastors and elders of a church, he really highlights in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, other places in scripture, uh, the character of the minister. I think another thing too is so often we talk about preaching that we can only be thinking about uh, Sunday morning uh, behind the pulpit preaching. And that that's central to the life of the church. But I think you have to look at the ministry of a congregation more holistically. So I think you should really be looking at um, how is the church helping its members uh, get the word of God into their lives throughout the week, you know, Bible studies, uh, uh, Paul 
uh, told the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 that I preach publicly and house to house. So the pastor, as Paul says, it should really be modeling a desire to go into the homes, into the lives of God's people in whatever manner might be appropriate to particular ministry and, and getting the word of God to bear on the lives of his people. So I think when you're looking at a church I think you can, it doesn't take long, you know, a few weeks of examining a church, you should be able to see the the priority that that particular congregation is placing on the word of God. I want to extend that question a little bit to the area of discipline. Sometimes this takes a little longer to to recognize in a church because it may be the case Mm -hmm. that there's no active discipline case going on in a congregation at a given moment. How would you advise people to look look at that? Uh, because there are certainly also cases of congregations that take some of those responsibilities maybe too far and, and, and try to, I'll say, micromanage mm-hmm. everybody's life and, and how they live it. So, how would you advise people to both think about the nature of discipline and, and to discern it in, in a given congregation? Mm-hmm. Well, when I was looking at this and studying uh, the reformers, it's pretty clear in their thinking that discipline certainly has the corrective side of it that we often think of when we hear that word of a session taking action against a member. But it meant uh, far more to them than that. It was it was two-sided. It wasn't just the corrective nature of discipline, but also the formative side, that the church had the responsibility to uh, work at bringing forth holiness and sanctification in the lives of God's people. And God's word tells us the manner in which that should be done. You know, one of the great emphases in the scriptures regarding the eldership of the church, the imagery that's primarily used is that of shepherding. And uh, even a pastor, that's where the word comes from, is he's a shepherd. And so the discipline of a church should be done in a loving way. And it should be seen in as someone visits a church or is evaluating uh, its own congregation, even if they've been there for a long time. Uh, they should really see present in the life of the pastor and elders, a love uh, for uh, the people. I think in uh, Gordon's book on why Johnny can't preach, he talks about some pastors don't seem to, some preachers don't seem to be even communicating love when they preach to the people because they're berating them so much. And I I think in the pulpit, you can tell whether a minister has a heart for his people and he loves them and he desires for them to follow the ways of Christ. And then when we have to discipline someone, someone begins to stray away, uh, be it a moral issue or their theology becomes errant, you you should be approaching those people with a, a gentleness, with a real concern, with uh, pleadings and warnings. And so that, I think, is what people should be looking for in, in the life of a congregation. And one other thing I would just say is that, again, discipline isn't always formal in nature. Matter of fact, Jesus says in Matthew 18 that that church discipline really starts with the members of the body of Christ. And uh, R.B. Kuyper in his book on the church really warns against this idea that discipline is only, only means the eldership. 
um, we're all called to be responsible in a local congregation as we see people straying or needing some correction in their life that we need to go to them, uh, uh, first of all, personally. And as a pastor, as I'm sure you men have had this experience, I've had you know the knock on my door and someone wanting to come and talk to the pastor. And pretty soon they're saying to me, you know, so-and-so did such and such. And my first question always to them was, well, have you talked to so-and-so about such and such? And if they hadn't addressed that personally, first of all, with that person, uh, I would send them back to, to do so. And so often I didn't hear from them again uh, because they had worked things out. So right. it's a little bit about how to look for discipline, I believe, uh, in the life of a congregation. It's very helpful. Uh, it is too easy, I suppose, to think of it as something formally undertaken by the session from the front as opposed to something that is part of the health and life of the congregation itself. Mm -hmm. So, one of the things that struck me as well when I read this was that this would not only be a helpful book in terms of people discerning uh, a church uh, uh, that they should be a part of and being wise in their in in where they eventually join but it also would be very freeing for for pastors because you mentioned at the beginning the experience you had as a church planter and how many people were really governed by essentially a kind of consumer mentality toward mm -hmm. toward the church it strikes me that that can be overwhelming for pastors and this seems to be the kind of teaching that would say to a pastor or or an elder in a congregation know these are the things that you're supposed to be focused on as a church and there are all kinds of other things that people will tell you to be focused on but these are things that mm -hmm. that need to provide focus for your ministry was that part of what uh, drove you to to study this and then also to to write in this way definitely i consult with congregations and a lot of times it's older works or struggling works. It's just so, it's such a temptation when things aren't going well in the life of a congregation to look across the street or look on the internet and see what someone else is doing that looks successful and to grab onto that latest uh, Christian fad, whether it's a, a study or a book or something that someone has done. And I think too often uh, congregations don't, first of all, just look in the mirror. And again, this book is about the essential identity of the church. There are many activities and ministries congregations can have. You know, we need to talk and we should talk about evangelism or, you know, mercy ministry or youth groups. I mean, we can talk about all of those things. They have their place. But so often churches are putting those as central to their what they're looking at. Even churches become identified with a certain program. And the subtle danger is, is that can begin to push out of the core, what God really wants us to truly be. And in the book, I try to show that a church's identity is directly related to Jesus's identity. And because the scriptures teach that he is our prophet, our priest, and our king, and as the head of the body, we're united to him, then we should be reflecting those offices in the way that we're conducting our life as a church. One of my favorite verses is 1 Peter 2.9, where 
Peter, taking titles out of the Old Testament that were applied to Israel, now applies them to the church. And he he calls her such things as a, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. He goes on to say that we have the duty to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. And so we see in that one verse, uh, these offices reflected were to proclaim Christ. Uh, we're to join in that prophetic office of the Lord as we make him known to everyone. We're to uh, be priests. Uh, we're a royal priesthood and kings, so we're to reflect who he is. And I think the sacraments uh, show who Jesus is and what he's done for his people. And we're to be kings. There's to be a sense of, of orderliness and rule in a congregation. And so, so we need to make sure our lives are in conformity to him. And so often, again, churches aren't looking first and foremost at their own identity of who they are and bringing greater reform there before they go on and start addressing some of these other, other issues. And so that's what I'm trying to do in the book is, is, is just really help people look more deeply in the mirror of their own identity as congregations before the Lord. And think about, you know, maybe before you go grabbing the latest fad, maybe maybe what you really need to do is to refresh your own minister and make sure that he's um, able to preach the word. Or, or maybe you need to really look at the congregation and see, are they, are they responding in obedience to what they're hearing? Uh, on the Lord's day and throughout the week as God's words being taught, or are you lagging and not really holding each other accountable to walking with Christ? Uh, I think if we look at those things first, then it'll help us to evaluate whether other types of ministries or activities would be helpful to us. Barry, this is helpful. I think it's especially in light of the fact that what we often do is we assess the health of a church uh, strictly based on what we hear from the front on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're helping us look at something much more organic and inclusive of the entire membership and how the church as a whole, not just the pastor, understands that church and then our place in it. Thank you. Really appreciate uh, these insights that you've shared and anticipate that this book will be a great encouragement to pastors and congregants. Well, I hope so. And one of the one of the things that really drove kind of that idea of the centrality of the marks was uh, really in reading and studying Luther. Um, in some of his writings, he talks about the relationship of pneumatology or the spirit, the study of the Holy Spirit and its relationship to ecclesiology or the church. And Luther says, wherever the Holy Spirit is present, and we have to remember that the church is the temple of the living God where the Holy Spirit dwells, that because of the Spirit's dwelling, there are going to be certain characteristics that will will mark a church. And uh, he called them the holy possessions of the church. And from those core things, other things are to emerge. And so he he had a list of seven, but if you really look closely at the list of seven that he had, now they're really just different expressions of what the later reformers, uh, I think, narrowed down to be these three uh, primary marks. And so I, I do think this is consistent, reformed uh, teaching, and uh, we need it in our own generation. We certainly do. And thank you for working on this. And also thanks for giving us a few minutes of your time today. Well, I greatly appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Good, Jonathan. And talking with Barry, I was really encouraged. I didn't use the term in our conversation, a regulative principle, Mm -hmm. uh, but it really is that kind of regulative principle of keeping the main things the main things. Uh, The reading and proclamation of the word 
prayer and song, mutually encouraging and spurring one another on to love and good deeds, uh, looking out for the brother who is caught in a trespass and going and seeking to restore that one. And uh, this whole kind of collective of, of word, sacrament, initiation, and continuance, I think one thing that could be encouraging to someone either looking for a church or to a pastor who's just sort of seeking to reorient himself is, in a certain sense, while this is a very high calling, it's not needlessly complicated. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and to me, as I was reading this book, I was, in a sense, transported mentally to my first pastoral experience. And one of the things that was overwhelming was, you know, the definition of success. He talked about that. And as I tried to get my arms around that, I, I tried to ask these questions like, well, what am I actually supposed to be doing? Because what you find in the pastorate very quickly is there are a, a million different things that people will tell you you need to focus on. And a million different books that will put it That's in right. print. And conferences and, and speakers and all, all that kind of thing. And it, there is a tremendous pressure associated with that that I think is can be crippling and essentially is unbiblical. I think what some readers could find helpful in this book, and I, I know seasoned pastors or even those finishing an MDiv might think another book on pastoral ministry or another book on the church. How many such books have I seen? Beside the relative brevity of this book at about 150 pages, I think it's also the the focus of this book as opposed to um, gimmicks. In fact, I was noticing, you know, you look through the table of contents and I, I didn't notice the chapter on the pastor and humor, uh, or, you know, not that there isn't a place for good natured humor, even in the pulpit, but I've uh, gone to a church website before. And on the front page of the church website, I said, visit our church. Our pastor is funny. Right. Uh, and, I mean, and I thought, well, I could encourage our readers. You're not going to find a chapter on that in this book or on the use of um, pop culture media to sort of um, make the experience a little more hip uh, or trendy. Uh, I think it's really it has the advantage of keeping the main things, the main things and seeking faithfulness and excellence in those. Right. And it's a great introduction in, in that respect. This is the kind of book. Now, he deals with some contemporary approaches to this. He, he spends a lot of time, for instance, on Mark Dever's book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. But at the same time, I agree with you. The core of it is timeless because it's biblical. Right. So highly recommended. That's what I would say. I would I commend this book. Second that. Barry York hitting the marks, restoring the essential identity of the church. Thanks as always for listening to Theology on the Go. If you find this helpful and you think of others who might find it helpful, please pass pass it along. Also, if you're able to support the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, we can't do this without the support of listeners like you. You can do that at alliancenet.org or placefortruth.org. Also, I should say this, we don't say this enough, placefortruth.org typically writes follow-up articles on the topics that James and I cover or the interviews that we have. So go to placefortruth.org. If you're interested in this topic about the marks of a church, go to placefortruth.org and you'll see more on this after this interview is, is broadcast. And thanks, as always, for listening to Theology on the Go. We love hearing from you and we enjoy interviewing all these 
these people. So give us your feedback. Uh, and if you want to win Hitting the Marks, I was just reminded that uh, we'll give away a copy of this book. Go to placefortruth.org and you can register to win a copy. And thanks as always for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth.